0: So I'm glad you're here this morning. I hope you have a Bible or something that you can open up or something that you can turn on. And I hope you'll join me in 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. Also, when you came in, you might have gotten a bulletin on the back of that. There'll be some notes that if you want to use that as we walk through the Word of God together this morning, I hope that you will uh, pull that bulletin out and find your way there to 2 Peter Chapter 1. But before we before we get to that, before we get to the Word, I've got to tell you some really awesome news. In fact, I've been really struggling. I, I wanted to start off this morning with that, but I always want to uh, make the Word the priority of when we gather together. And so um, we're, I, I wanted to start with that, but I want to tell you this really, really awesome news that I got this last week. Just this last week, I got an email. You're like, what's so awesome about that? It's what the email said. Okay, so I got this email, and the email is from a man out on the East Coast. And he identified himself as being the executive executor, the executor of a large estate. And in fact, he says that he represents this estate within the multi-millions of dollars. And he said that recently, the person that owned the estate passed away Bad for him, good for me. He said the person just recently passed away and in the will it was directed that the executor would pick ten people at random throughout the United States to divide up the estate amongst the ten people. And I'm one of the ten. I'm one of the ten. In fact, in the email, that the email I got, it said, if you would please click on this link, which, huh? You got to do it. You, you click on the link, and then it takes you a page. And on that page, you enter in all your personal information. Some of you are looking at me like, what's going on? You don't understand. This is a multi-million dollar estate, right? My social security number is worth a couple million dollars. So it's one of those things that you, you fill out the information, and you submit it. Once they verify that I'm really who I say I am. Because, you know, they got to be picky about these kind of things. They just can't give it away to just any random person. I mean, I'm one of the ten. And, they, and once they get my information together and once they validate who I am, then they will directly wire the money into my account. And I got so excited. I was so pumped up. I went to Jalene, and I was like, we are going to make it. I mean, it's like the Clampett story, right? I didn't, just didn't find oil down in the ground when I was out shooting for birds. It's actually I opened an email. I clicked on the link. I filled up information, and guess what? I was so excited. I said, I'm going to go buy me a new jacket. Just have me a new jacket to represent what I've got coming. And I can say, yeah, go ahead. $800 jacket. No problem. I have got money coming. It wasn't really $800, Shelby. It, was, it really, was, <laughs> really wasn't $800. But I appreciate you buying into the story. That was, that was wonderful. I, I so much believe. When people believe what I had to say, it's so encouraging. So I got this email. I don't know exactly what my cut of the 10%, or the the, the 10%, I guess, of the estate. I really don't know. They didn't really give me an exact number. They didn't really even give me an exact date of when it's going to come. But the email said, the email said I was one of the 10 random people and that's what I'm going to get, right? You've probably received an email like that before, haven't you? Or you've probably heard of somebody that's sent, received an email like that before. Or you've probably heard of the millions of dollars that people are taken for because of those kind of emails and those kind of phishing examples are out there. Now, you and I would come to that email. I would I would hope that the majority of this in this room, I can't, I can't speak for all of us, but I would hope the majority of us in this room, we'd open an email, we'd look at it and go, you know what? I don't believe it. I don't think that's true. And I don't think that is real. And I am not going to go down that That's the same attitude that many times the world has when it comes to the things of God. There's a whole group of people out here saying, hey, this is true. This is exciting. You want to have it. It can be yours. It's just a matter of a simple prayer, or it's just a matter of getting right with the Lord, a confession, repentance, or whatever it is. And you have a world outside these walls that are looking at it going, I don't know. Is it legit? Is it real? is it true? So just, we would look at an email and we would have those kind of thoughts. There are people in the world today that are looking at us and are wondering, is it true? Well, Peter is going to address that this morning. In fact, Peter, as he's writing to this church, it's actually the second letter that he has written to them. So in the first letter he was talking about, excuse me, talking about their salvation, talking about their identity, talking about who they are. And then he realized that they're still having problems. It is a, most likely, a large Gentile, which means in that sense, you either had Jews or Gentiles. And so that was kind of the dividing line. The Jews historically were God's chosen people. And so everybody else thought if you weren't a Jew, you weren't part of the family of God. Well, then Christ comes and Christ says, no, it's for anybody that believes by faith in who I am. And all of a sudden this opens up. And so you have a largely Gentile population living in what is modern day Turkey so they're outside of that that, that fertile crescent if you will the promised land they're outside of that and they're living in the midst of all kinds of pagan worship in the midst of all kinds of idolatry in the midst of all kinds of rampant mystical, humanistic all of the notions that would be out there they're being bombarded with it all the time and yet you have a church that is sitting there trying to preach the word of God trying to be faithful to God but they have questions and they have doubts and they're wondering is this really the true thing? So Peter, not only did he start in chapter 1 telling him what he was going to say. Remember this from last week? Some of you should just shake your head and make me feel good. Not only did Peter tell him what he was going to say, but then he told him. And then last week we were looking at it. He told him what he told them. So he's saying, hey, if you're in Christ, and this goes all the way back at the very beginning, in verse 3, he tells them, you have all of these things given to you. You have all the gifts of God through his Son in the Holy Spirit. You have everything you need, believer, Father of Jesus Christ. You have everything you need to live a faithful life before God. And he tells them, you have all of these things in Christ. And because you have these things, you have all the tools, you have all the necessary equipment, you have everything to reflect God and serve God and point people to the kingdom of God. But then he's got, maybe I wasn't there. Maybe he's got these readers that are looking. Maybe he's got these people in the church that are like, well, Peter, how do we know that what you are saying is true? Now, to be honest, to be honest, it really hasn't changed a lot since then because the reality of the fact is is that none of us have ever seen the face of God. And I would even argue, and some of you may push back, I would even argue that None of us have ever heard the audible voice of God in the same way that Moses heard the audible voice of God. So you may come to me and you may say, Well, Spence, how can you say that these things are true? How can you say that these things are right? How can you say that I should believe these things if you can't show me with tangible, physical, visual evidence? In the same way that Peter was struggling, in the same way that we struggle today, it's by faith. It's by believing by faith. So what Peter does here in this passage, verse 16, down through the rest of the chapter, in verse 21, is he talks about what motivates his faith. What keeps him going. What keeps him serving God day after day after day. I'm going to put there in your notes, you see there in your notes, I'm just going to put down three different motivations that Peter had. And I think, I hope that you will see with me that these motivations are still relevant and these motivations are still present today so he's going to talk about these three motivations that peter had that he was trying to give to the church and trying to put to the church to say hey this is why you believe by faith this is why you serve this god this is why you obey the way you do this is the why you sacrifice all these things the world says is important to follow after him these are the things that get me excited on a monday morning because i am one of his You're going to have to get excited with me. You can't just sit there with this sour, you know, this sour look on your face. I know we didn't hand out lemons before church. So some of you all got to get excited. Some of you all getting excited like, Hey, you know what? This is who I am. Peter's talking about me. So he talks about what he saw. Look at verse 16, if you will, as we get into the text. Verse 16, Peter's writing and he says, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty now there's not a period there but i'm going to stop there because i want you to think with me about what peter saw what was it that peter saw that made him so convinced in who christ is and his faith in god well peter had some advantages that quite frankly i don't have If you were to take your bible and you were to go back and, and you were to look back you would find your way back to matthew chapter 17 there's a parallel passage in mark chapter 9 and luke chapter 9 but there is something that the bible talks about a transfiguration What happened? Right there towards the end of Jesus' earthly ministry, he takes the three, Peter, James, and John. he, He takes these three men and he takes them up onto this mountaintop. And on this mountaintop, who was Jesus, man in the flesh, all of a sudden became Christ, the second part of the deity of God. And he was transfigured before their face. In fact, Moses, if you go back and you would read it. I don't have time, otherwise I always run out of time. So I don't want to take the time to go back and look at there. But I would invite you to go back and look at it. Because it says on this mountaintop, not only do you have Jesus who is transfigured. He goes from this carnal state, this mortal state, to a Eternal state to an immortal state, but then also you have Moses and you have Elijah to come down, and they're all talking. And the disciples, the disciples see this. Not only do they see Christ in the flesh, but then they see Christ in his heavenly state. And when they see that, it changes. It changes their attitude. It changes their mentality. It changes everything they have. It changes their perspective about God. Not only do they see Christ in the flesh and they see him in his earthly or in his heavenly, his heavenly picture, but they saw this picture of Christ. That's the way I think about it. Because sometimes some of you have an easy way of being able to think of concepts in your mind. I have to have something that I can be concrete or that I can identify with. So here's what I think about. Some of you may know the name Jekyll and Hyde. One person in one state transformed transported, trans, uh, changed into another state. Some of you are like, I don't understand Jekyll and Hyde. Okay, well, what about this? Do you remember the Hulk? The Hulk was a pretty calm-mannered person, and all of a sudden they get excited, something when they can go berserk, and all of a sudden he would change states. Okay, you don't get that one. Okay, what about, what about Superman? We're not doing Batman and Spider-Man, because you know they're just a bunch of sissies compared to Superman, but remember Superman. See, <clears> in <throat> so the mild-mannered, newspaper reporter, then all of a sudden he'd go into the phone booth, right? He'd go into the closet and he'd come out of the closet. He would change, right? He would change who he was. He would change not only his identity, but he would change his action. He would change how people view him and he changed what he did. So what Peter is saying here is Peter saying, I got a glimpse of what Jesus is going to look like in heaven and that has changed my perspective of who he is. Not only did he see Christ in the flesh, but he saw the miraculous works of the Savior. He saw the people be healed. He saw the lame walk. He saw the mute speak. He saw the dead alive. He saw all of these things. But the greatest thing that Peter gets to in this passage, the greatest thing that he saw is that people were changed through salvation. People were changed and he saw, he saw the difference that Christ made in their hearts. If you go to the first few chapters of John and it says that Jesus came and he told the disciples, follow me. And what did the disciples do? The disciples didn't take a poll. The disciples didn't say, we're going to pray about it. The disciples didn't say and stop and go, you know what? We're going to have to think this over. We're going to have to get some other outside opinions. No, it says they immediately followed after Jesus. Mark chapter, Mark chapter 1, Matthew chapter 4, even in John, it said that when Jesus came and called the disciples, they didn't sit there and think about it. They immediately followed after him. Why? Because they recognized who he was. You may say with me this morning, well, Spence, I haven't seen the transfiguration. Yeah, but you've seen the change in people's lives. The only explanation for you and I to be gathered here this morning is not because of a common community interest. It's definitely not because of the speaker. It's not because you are here so I can tell you how you can make more money and get rich quick. You're not here to buy a timeshare. You're not here for me to tell you five ways to have a better life tomorrow. You're not here for me to give you some type of medical advice. We are here gathered together not to focus on man, but we are here gathered together to focus on God. Why? Because in one way or another, God has changed all of us. He's changed our wants. He's changed our desires. I'm going to tell you that there have been times in my life that on a Sunday morning when it is what? uh, uh 72 degrees outside. I've got other things that I want to be doing on a, on a Sunday morning when i then uh, sitting in church. Amen? Amen? Y'all, y'all can look at me all sanctified. I'm telling you. When you wake up and it's three degrees, oh, it's too cold to go to church. And you wake up and it's pretty weather, oh, it's too nice to go to church. I know how this works. I know how this plays out, but it's one of those things you and I recognize that because of what God has done for us, we see what God is doing in our lives. We see what God is doing in the lives around us. And that causes us to continue to serve and to follow him by faith. The bridge of that song that we sang right after the offertory. I don't know if you remember the words, but the words go like this. I cannot help but give you praise when I remember who you are. I cannot help but give you thanks when I remember what you've done. Sometimes in the morning, you and I may have a hard time getting started. Have a hard time waking up. We have a hard time getting excited. We have a hard time understanding why we do what we do. Maybe if we had just take those two lines and we had plastered that on our fore on our foreheads, we had plastered that on our mirrors, we had plastered that in our home, we had plastered that on our phone. And when we wake up, the first thing we're going to think about is I cannot help but give you praise when I think of who you are. Not because of what I have, not because of what you're doing for me, not because of what you're going to give me, not because of what you promise and I'm going to hold on to. Not this naming and claiming prosperity garbage. I can't. I cannot help but give you praise when I know who you are. And then after that, I cannot help but give you thanks because what you have done, not what I want you to do, not what I think you're going to do, not what I expect you to do, not because the strings are attached to what you're going to do, but because of what you have done. You have created me. You have given me breath. You have given me life. You sent your son to die for me. You love me. You have given me the opportunity to wake up this morning. And that for that, I can give you thanks. Church, This society around us continues to try to grind us into this thing, thinking that you and I are owed things that God never promised. or The word deserved breaks that God didn't even give his son. And we stop to think, we stop thinking about what all Christ has done in our lives, what all God has done, and all we see is what the world around us is doing. So Peter says, one of the reasons why he has a lost faith is what he saw, but then not just that, what he had heard. If you go on there in the text, there in verse 17, it said, For when we received honor and glory from God the Father, the voice was born to him from the majesty of glory. This is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. Verse 18: We ourselves heard this very voice vote voice born from heaven. For we were with him on the holy mountain. Peter is saying it's not just a matter of what I saw, it's a matter of what I saw. Heard. Now, you think about what was heard. Well, you go back to this picture in Matthew 17, as they are sitting there, the cloud, God appears in the cloud. And what does he say? It says it there in verse 17, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Now, if you're reading this and you have very much familiarity with the Bible, you're like, I, I've heard this before. I've heard God say this before. Where else have I heard God say this? And you start racking your brain and you start thinking, you're like, oh, yeah, 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 I remember. Matthew chapter 4, Mark chapter 1, Luke chapter 3. What happens in those passages? Jesus is baptized. Jesus comes down. John the Baptist is right there engaged in his earthly ministry. Jesus comes. He gets in the Jordan River. John looks at him and goes, "Ah, no, 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 no. I'm not baptizing you. You need to baptize me. And Jesus says, no, no. It is proper and fitting for you to baptize me. So he gets in the water and John baptizes him. He doesn't doesn't sprinkle him. (laughs) doesn't just anoint him. Bab-te-zo. He puts him into the water. He immerses him in the water. He comes back out. And what is it happens? It says, the dove appeared and the voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Was that what Peter's talking about? No, because Peter wasn't there when he was baptized, according to most of the scholars. He hadn't called his disciples yet. He hadn't begun his earthly ministry. So Peter wasn't aware of it. We, on this side of the story, we're aware of that. But Peter is saying, whenever I am on the Mount of Transfiguration, I heard God say it. Not just heard he say it, but he had heard that humanity had proclaimed it. Matthew chapter 16, Jesus looks at the disciples and says, who do the people say I am? Peter looks at Jesus and says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter proclaimed the deity of who Christ is. You go to Matthew chapter 8 and you find where the two demons are there. And God cast out those demons into the pigs. But before he cast the demons out into the pigs the demons say, what would you have to do with this son of God? The demons even recognized who Jesus was. Humanity proclaimed it. Jesus confirmed who he is. Not who he was. Because he is not past tense. He is present tense. It's who he is. You go to the middle part of the gospel of John. And there's seven I am's. Not ten. Seven Seven, seven i ams where jesus is saying i am the good shepherd i am the bread of life i am the light of the world etc 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 so G- peter peter had heard all of this he had heard what people had said about jesus he heard what jesus had said about jesus but then he heard what god said about jesus he heard what god said about jesus let me take you back and i'm going to read this for you you're welcome to turn there hebrews chapter 1 If you want to, but let me read for you what the writer of Hebrews has to say about God speaking to us. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1. This is what the writer says. He says, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. He he is saying, the writer of Hebrews is saying, remember, remember who God, what God has to say about Jesus. What God said about Jesus was Jesus was God in the flesh. And we think about our biblical picture. We think about our biblical story. You go back to the Old Testament and God would speak to his people through the prophets. You had the prophets. The Old Testament prophets would come. And they, the, the word prophet meant that you were somebody speaking on behalf of God. You were a, a truth teller if you were. And those prophets would come. And they would say, God has given me a message. They would utter the message. They would deliver the message to the people. Sometimes it involved prophecy, which is foretelling, saying this is what's going to happen. But every time, God would speak through the prophets. Then... The New Testament. And that story, the story about the kingdom of God, the story about what God is doing, he began to speak through Christ. All of this comes through Christ. All of this now, the story of the New Testament is through the gospel and the model and the example of Jesus Christ. But then as Jesus, knowing he is getting ready to go back to the right hand of the Father, knowing that he is getting ready to be crucified, he explains to the people, He He explains to the disciples and he says, now this is what's going to happen after I leave. And he talks about how they will hear from God. And in John chapter 16 and verse 12, let me read for you what Jesus says. He says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are come. He will glorify me. For he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And all that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Peter is reminding us as he talked about earlier in chapter 1 of Second Peter. Saying listen, now, now we have the Holy Spirit that is speaking to our hearts. Speaking to our lives. Speaking through the word of God into us. So Peter is saying, I heard God speak on who Christ was. I heard Christ speak on who he was. And now the Holy Spirit is speaking On who he is. Sometimes we haven't heard God speak in a while because we haven't listened to God speak in a while. You've heard the old adage before. It's kind of a cliche, but if you want to hear God speak, read his word aloud. A lot of times we come to the Word of God and we submit ourselves and we put ourselves under the Word of God. God is then that conduit. He's allowed, he, he, he's brought in, speaking through the Holy Spirit into our lives. You mean it's an audible voice like I get a phone call? No, I don't think it's like that. It's, a, it, 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 it's him speaking to our hearts. And putting in our hearts, him, him giving us direction, and giving a, a prompting in our hearts. It, it's something that you know it when you know it. But brothers and sisters, sometimes it takes you and I having to come to listen to God. Sometimes it takes you and I having to put out the effort that we're going to hear from God. My personal opinion, my personal conviction is the best time to do it is in the morning. Some of you are like, oh no, I'm a night owl. I, I, my most quiet times at night. Good for you. I just think that I need to get with God before I get with the world. And I think the first voice that I should have in my life every day should be God's voice and not the world's voice. And so many times we wake up and we get too busy. You wake up and you're you're too busy for this, you're too busy for that. We're listening to God's word. And we wonder why we are so distant. We wonder why we're so dry. We wonder why we're so stale in our spiritual life. It's because we haven't been listening to God. And when we don't listen to God, how do we expect to know what God wants from us? How do we expect to know what faithfulness looks like? And what Peter said is, as I not only saw God at work through the life of Jesus, I heard God at work through the life of Jesus. And you know what? Whenever I am listening to God, and now in the context that Peter is writing, it's through that Holy Spirit. He says, when I am listening to God speak, not only through his son, but now through his spirit, I have no problem with waking up on mission for the kingdom of God. Because that's the predominant voice I'm listening to. But then this last one—not only what he saw, what he heard, but what he learned. Peter says, what motivates my faith to pursue after God every single day and to serve in the kingdom of God is not just what I saw, not just what I heard, but what I learned. So look at verse 19 with me. We're going to read verse 19 all the way down through 21, then I'm going to try to speed through this. But he says, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing, knowing that first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. We could spend days and days and hours and hours looking at just these few verses. So I'm going to try to articulate it concisely and quickly. Peter says, it is a matter of what I learned. You want to know the basis and the motivation for my faith? Why I know that the Bible is true? Why I know that salvation is true? It's because what I have learned. The first thing he points to there in verse 19 is that the word of God is a Light, he says, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. He is saying that when you have this word of God known as the Bible, when you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, there is a light, there is a light of truth in your life. And Matthew chapter 5 talks about every single one of us letting our light shine before others. He reminds us that when we have this truthfulness of God, this truthfulness of the Holy Spirit, we have a light in us and I think this is so huge for the days in which we're living in because you and I will sit back and we will talk about the battle versus light and darkness several Sundays ago I talked about you know something that could identify us is that we chase darkness we're the people of God we have the truth of God's word we have the Bible in our hand we have the spirit in our hearts and you and I are going around with our little light think about the old vacation Bible school song this little light of mine I'm gonna let it shine and we go running around chasing darkness why Because darkness has no power. We miss this. We think that darkness has power to overcome the light. The darkness does not have any power. The darkness is the result of an absence of light. It's not the fact that the darkness overcame the light. It's not the fact that the darkness is more powerful than the light. It's not the fact that you have to get a bulb, a light bulb, more powerful than the dark light bulb. There is no such thing as a dark light bulb. There is no such thing as a producer of darkness. The only reason you have darkness is when you have an absence of light. So, so, and I hope this clicks for you because I think it's huge in the day in which are living in. When we look around the society and we see sin, we see debauchery, we see lostness, we see the depravity of man on distance play all around us. It is not because sin and debauchery is overcoming goodness and truth. It's because people have stopped being proclaimers and givers of goodness and truth. So we think about this community. Over 75% of the people within a 10 mile race of this church do not attend church anywhere this morning. Why? It's not because the stay at home crowd was smarter than the louder than the go to church crowd. It's because the go to church crowd is going to church and saying things in here they won't say out there. We will sing things and say things and nod to things in here that we do not reflect out there. And it's not a matter of that the light has become weak or it's not a matter of the light has become tarnished. It's the fact that we have stopped shining our light into the community. And so we wonder why we have darkness all around us because we're not chasing the darkness with light. So Peter says, we have this lamp and he refers to it there in verse 19 as to a lamp shining in a dark place. Until the sun rises. So he's using this imagery. He's using this this illustration, if you will. If you were to think about being in a room in the middle of the night. And you have a single flame candle. It's only going to put off so much light. But when that sun rises in the east. At the dawn of the morning. And that light invades and overtakes everything around it. That light overcomes all that that light reaches and touches. And he says, so in a way, Christian, it's like you have the spirit of God in your life and you're just a one candle flame. But you know what? When God sends his son back together, his church, when Christ comes to redeem this world, when Christ comes for you and I, it won't just be a single candle. It won't just be a single flame. It'll be the like the son of God coming and overcoming everything to Defeat. Boy, you guys get really excited. Do you realize that one day the darkness will be over? In fact, at the end of Revelation, it says we have no reason for flames because of the brightness of God illuminating our lives. One day it'll be like all of us are living in Alaska during a certain time of the year without the cold. 24 hour light, 24 hour illumination, no darkness, no sin. And Peter says, I learned, I learned that the secret to all of this is knowing, knowing what this light is for. Knowing what I have been given God's word for. Knowing what I have been given the spirit for. Knowing what I have been given truth for. Knowing why God has put himself in my life. Why has God given me his love? Why has God sent his son for my life? Why has God given me the opportunity to be saved? Why has God given me the place to live where I am around all kinds of lost people? So That I might be a light to others. In fact, it's the opposite of what we've been going through these last couple years. Peter says instead of you and I trying to socially distance ourselves and isolate ourselves, we should be the kind of Christians that want to be contagious. So he says not just that the Word of God is a light, oh, but he gets even better. (laughs) Verse 20. No prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. What is he saying? He's reminding you and I that truth is not defined by man. That this truth that we hold to, this truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the truth being what is right and what is wrong, what is moral, what is immoral, what is holy and what is not holy? What is blasphemous and what is not blasphemous? This truth is not defined by man. I realize that we might attempt in our rebellion as a humanity and as a democracy and as a country and as a people, we might try to redefine truth based upon what we like and what how we feel and what we do. But the reality is, is we do not define truth. Let me give you an example. President Obama, when ran for U.S. Senate in Illinois. He was for same-sex marriage. Then, as he was running for his first term of the presidency, he was against. He was against same-sex marriage. Then, when he went to run for his second term, he was now for Same-sex marriage. Am I trying to take a slide of President Obama? No, no. He's going to stand before God just like I will. My point is, is that how easy we go from one side to the other side based upon popular opinion and based upon what feels good or based upon what people have the appetite or the stomach to handle. We go back and forth. We waver back and forth, back and forth. Some of you ladies, some of you ladies 50 years ago, you would be scandalized for not having a dress down to your ankles sitting in church. 20 years ago my father would have walked in and saw a man in blue jeans and he would have thought, "Ah, you heathen." How how things change socially. Peter says, you know what doesn't change socially, you know what doesn't change culturally, you know what doesn't change by the whims of man. Truth is not defined by man. So he says, no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. So it's not a matter of you and I looking around and going, well, you know what? I'm going to come to this passage and I'm going to think about what it says to me. I understand you get in Bible studies and you read a passage of scripture and you go around the room. What does this mean to you? 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 You You know what? That's a great exercise when you want to do something wrong. There's only one meaning to the word of God. So it doesn't matter about what you mean and what you mean and what you mean and what you mean. Only question is, what does the word of God say? What does it mean? You may have different opinions and that's fine. There's value to what you have to say. But the word of God does not have multiple meanings for multiple people. It has one meaning meaning different applications one meaning so it's not that we define truth we don't look at a passage and say well i think it means this someone over there says well i think it means that no it has one meaning and it's defined by the author god It's not based upon you and I to make an interpretation. It's not based upon for you and I to determine what is truth and what isn't truth. And so Peter says, you know what? If it's true then, it's true now, and it will be true forever. And he says, it's not a matter of you and I coming and interpreting Scripture through what we think. He says, so you know what? If God says, if God says, the way you get to heaven is through Christ, and that's the way it is. This isn't the church of Oprah. There's not many ways to God. This isn't a matter of different religions all having their own ideas of what this looks like. If God says this is it, this is it. Jesus says there's only one way to the Father and that's through me. Peter says that's it, I've learned. I want to go to heaven, it is through Christ and it is through that avenue by which I am right before God. So Peter says it's not just a matter of understanding your life, but it's an understanding of understanding truth. The truth is not defined by man, but then also the last part is the Holy Spirit reveals the word. Because he says there in verse 21, no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. He is saying that it's not a matter that we get together and we have some type of conclave, we have some type of conference, we have some type of a committee meeting, and all of a sudden we decide what is the word of God. We decide what is truth. The Holy Spirit reveals the word of God to us sometimes you may have to read it more than once sometimes you may have to read it more than twice sometimes you may have to marinate on it sometimes you may have to just dwell on it sometimes you may have to read it day after day after day after day sometimes you may have to go to somebody that's studied it sometimes you may have to go to look at the original language because everything that we're looking at today is a translation sometimes you may need to go sometimes you may just need to pray and say god what are you saying to me through this passage What Peter says is that many times when it comes to the word of God, we need a cipher. You might remember what a cipher is. Here's what I think of a cipher. Remember the old cereal boxes? From the back of the cereal boxes, there was a coded message. And the only way you could read the coded message, was you had to get the special glasses inside the cereal box. And you would take the little special glasses inside the cereal box and you'd put the glasses. And when you put the glasses on, you could read the message on the back of the cereal box. No one else did this ever. Y'all just looking at me like this guy's crazy. Oh, thank you, Jessica. Finally, finally, somebody is, is catching. I'm thinking, you know, this somebody surely ate cereal growing up besides just me. But it's one of those things you would see the message that would be there. Or sometimes you get that crossword puzzle. And that big old crossword puzzle is sitting there like this, and it says there's 20 words in this crossword puzzle, and there's all kinds of letters, and you gotta figure out which where the where, where the words are at, upside down, backwards. It, it, Okay, okay, so let's talk about encryption. So nowadays you have all of this technology and you send messages and it becomes encrypted. And so you put together this electronic messages, message, and you have this software that jumbles all up, sends it over, sends it over a connection. The person that they're in gets it, has to have the encryption key to be able to decipher what it is. But there's a cipher. Right? So we're we're tracking. It's a way that we understand the message that is there. What Peter is saying is that the Holy Spirit works as a cipher. It helps aid us in our understanding of God's word. It helps aid us in understanding what God is saying to us. Peter says, I understand that this inspiration, this unction, this understanding, this illumination, it does not happen by man. So you find somebody that says they found something new in the word of God? Just like somebody says that you can make $5,000 a week and only work two hours from your house. The same way that you get an email <laughs> telling them that you've just received a bunch of millions of dollars if you just give them all your personal information. Run, 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 run. If somebody that you're listening to is not based in the truth, based upon the Word of God, the instruction of the Word of God, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, get away from them. It's called humanism. There's a lot of people on TV that claim to be preachers that are making money, money, money off of duping people. So he says, this is what I've learned. What I've learned is that the word of God is a light. To me and a light of other people. I have learned that truth does not is not defined by man. And I have learned, Peter says, that the Holy Spirit reveals the word of God to me. So Peter comes back and Peter says, So you want to understand why I believe in who God is? This is why. It's because of what I've seen, it's because of what I've heard, and it's because of what I have learned. So you say, Spence, what does it have to do with me? I'm glad you asked. So why is this still good news today? Well, just three simple things and then we'll wrap up. The first thing is that God is still working. Peter is looking back and saying, I saw God work in the life of people through this way. I want to ensure you this morning that God is still working. Some people call it common grace. Some people say the mercy of God. You see God still doing things in the world today. No, no, Spence, I don't see anything. Everything is random chance. Sure it is. You get to the world of philosophy and you got some different philosophical arguments for the existence of God. You have the epistemological argument. You have the ontological argument. You got the cosmological argument. You got the logical argument. You got the rational argument. There's some other arguments out there, but every single one of those, there's a way to then go back and show who God is through logic and through reasoning. I, I think that you can just get up and go outside and look around and go, huh, yeah, yeah, I couldn't do this. Yeah, 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 there's a God, that's what Romans chapter 1 is talking about, that all of us know God because of creation. This morning, (laughs) this morning I'm getting, I'm in the bedroom and in the closet getting my $800 Shelby jacket on this morning. I'm in there in the closet getting, getting dressed and right across the room is the baby crib. And It doesn't matter how quiet I am. That thing, the, that little micah has like spider senses. I mean, he recognizes breath, and it's like, and I hear him, and I hear him stir, and then I, hear, I, I just know where this is going, and I see him stir, and then I see him kind of shuffle around in the bed, and then all of a sudden he turns his head where he's facing me, and I see through the slats his face, busted. You know what he does. He looks at me and he just smiles, not because I'm an awesome dad. Not because that he's like, man, i got a great day lined up. I got all this planned out. Not because at, at one years old, he fully understands everything around his life and everything that's going on. You know why he smiled at me? It's because God is an awesome God. And God says, you know what? Despite everything that you deserve, despite everything that you have done, despite all these things in your life, you can still get a smile from a one-year-old first thing in the morning little things like that. Little things that we see that makes us remember who God is. Because God is still working. Not just that, but God is still speaking. God is still speaking. How do I know that God is still speaking? Because God still convicts me in my life. God still convicts you in your life. There are times that you get out of sorts with God and you know I'm out of sorts with God. Now you don't want me reminding you you're out of sorts with God but you do know that you're out of sorts with God and you want to come to church and you want me to encourage you to be right with God. You don't want me to call you out for being wrong with God but every single one of us when we come in here and we put ourselves under the authority of God's word, we put ourselves under the the, the power of the Holy Spirit, we put ourselves in a place to say God speaks To me, God's going to speak to us. And he speaks to us both through his word. He speaks to us through the preaching and the teaching of his word. He speaks to the the, the, the soft spirit of the Holy Spirit coming into our lives. He speaks to us through our circumstances. He speaks to us through our problems. He speaks to us through our obstacles. He speaks to us in our life. Problem is, that so many times you and I have the radio turned up so loud, listening to the world that we're not listening to God. We're walking around and saying, you know what, I'm not paying attention to that. I'm going to turn the volume up on the world and I'll have all the social media. I'll have all the politics. I'll have the current events. I'll have all of these problems. I'll have all these self-help humanistic garbage gurus out there telling me how to think. I'll have all of these other voices and I won't listen to God. But here's the final one and I'm done. The gospel hasn't changed. The gospel hasn't changed. Peter says, "You want to know why I'm excited? You don't want to gets me tuned up? You want to know that just gets me all fired up because I can't wait to serve God. It's because the gospel hasn't changed." And it doesn't matter whether you're saved or you're lost. It doesn't matter if you're young or you're old. It doesn't matter if you're ignorant or if you're wise. It doesn't matter where you're staying in your life. Every single one of us need the gospel every single day. I'm not saying that every single one of us need to be saved every single day, but every single one of us every day need the goodness of God, the mercy of God, the grace of God overflowing into our lives so that we know that the only hope that we have, the only, pl- the, the only, the only help that we have in this life is Jesus Christ. And that's what the gospel is. It's the gospel that tells us that God loved us so much that He sent His Son to die on a cross to take the penalty to pay the price for my sins. So when I wasn't good enough and when I didn't do, when I didn't measure up enough, when all these things that I failed because of Christ's work on my behalf, I can be considered clean, pure in the eyes of God. I repent of my sins. I confess my sins. I trust in Jesus Christ and that righteousness of Christ is imputed to me. So I wake up in the morning and I know this, Spence, you're not going to be perfect today, but you know what Christ is. You know what, Spence, you're going to mess up today, you know, but Christ, Christ got this. You know what, I know that I'm going to screw up and I'm going to fail and I'm going to, I'm going to trip and I'm going to stumble and I'm going to miss opportunities. But you know what, God, you still love me that you sent your son to die for me. And that gospel is still true. And let me take it beyond the personal. You realize that when you go out of these walls, every single person, God loves every single person, every single person needs Jesus. Oh, but they're a really nice person. (laughs) Nice people need Jesus. They're a really rich person. Really rich people need Jesus. Well, they're homeless and they're dirty. Homeless, dirty people need Jesus. Well, they're just very uncivilized and they don't look like us, and they don't dress like us, and they don't act like us, and they don't talk like us. They need Jesus. And so you and I go around, and we understand that the reason why, and we'll get to this later on and in the book of Second Peter, but maybe the reason why God has given us another day here is because he knows there's still the people outside there that need to hear about Jesus. And so he's put you and I in here to be convicted to go out there and tell people about Jesus. So that when people see us doing what God has commanded us to do, they don't sit back and go, is it true? Because they see us living it to be so. So I wonder where you're at this morning. Where's your faith at today? Peter comes into this passage in this text and he says, I'm going to tell you what gets me excited. What I've seen, what I've heard what I've learned. So what gets you excited? Money? Popularity? Ease of life? The thought that in another 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, you're going to retire and do nothing but play Scrabble all the time in the house. What gets you excited? I think Peter would say that the only thing that really is going to provide much that gets us excited is when we're living on mission for the kingdom of God and when we're living and walking by faith. So my invitation in a few moments is just to ask you what what motivates you? What drives your faith? Why are you here? bow your heads with me.